Good morning. When I was in high school and some of college, if you would have asked me what I was going to do with my life, I would have said music. Or more specifically, if I was going to be honest, a rock star. <laughs> now, my fallback plan was I was going to be a teacher. And uh, that's what I studied in college for most of my time there. But God had a different plan for my life. And I've often wondered and I'm often asked, what would you be doing if you had not gone into full-time ministry? And uh, besides a rock star, the thing that's come to mind the most, and that I've spent a lot of time and energy and seem to have some innate giftings in, is in marketing. And even with the churches that I've worked at, I've helped uh, them rebrand and have their logos and taglines and design work. And so I've been fascinated with that, and I've learned a lot about marketing. And there's a thing that's in marketing called brand recognition. And part of a marketer's success in branding is when you can recognize what they're known for by their logo. So I want us to play a little game here this morning, and this is audience participation. I want you to call out the one thing you think this is known for when you see the logo, this first logo. What are they known for? Soda, right? Yeah, Coke, that's the name. All right, uh, next one. Starbucks coffee, that's right. Starbucks is known for coffee, all right? How about the next one? Colgate is known for? Toothpaste, Toothpaste. all right. What's our next one here we got? Apple is known for? Computers or iPhone now, probably more than computers. But, and uh, the next one is? Chick-fil-A? Chicken, right? Somebody said Jesus uh, earlier this morning when they saw this. So uh, the Lord's chicken is what some people call this. But Chick-fil-A is known for chicken. And what about this one? What is this one known for? Anybody know this logo? Seymour Christian Church? What is it known for? <laughs> okay, it starts to get a little, a little more nebulous there, doesn't it? And what about the church in general? What is the church known for? Yeah, okay, I hear a couple different things. I hear Jesus, I hear religion, I hear love, I hear discipleship. I heard somebody say, should be discipleship. You guys know where we're going this morning, don't you? But let me ask you, what are you known for? What are you known for? You don't have to answer that one out loud. Now, the, the big C church, right, what we call the universal church, is known for even a lot of things. Even when we said that, what is the church known for? Not just Seymour Christian, but churches in general. There was a lot of different answers. Uh, and, and sometimes what we're known for is uh, we're people who don't drink or, or we don't smoke or we don't swear or we're known for holding a certain political stance or we're known for being against homosexuality, or fill in the blank, whatever it might be. That's sometimes, if you ask people, what is the church, what is Christianity known for, that's what their answer will be. But what are you known for? Today we're starting a three-week series titled, Called, God's Greater Purpose for Your Life. And I want to tell you up front what this series is not, okay? For the next three weeks, we aren't going to talk about how to use your gifts, or even how to identify your passions and gifts, although that's a great thing. And we're not going to talk about how you choose the right career path. Or maybe you're here, you're single, and you're ready to mingle, and you say, I want to know what my purpose is in a relationship. We're not going to talk about that. Maybe you're looking for love. Maybe you want to know if you should get married. Maybe you're struggling with your job, and you're wondering, wanting a sign from God on a change in your career. That's not the type of purpose that we're looking at. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with those questions. And God can and will provide guidance for each and every one of those. But what we're going to look at is the call that God has put on each and every one of us. Every single one of us. The universal call, the calling that Christ has for us. Whether you're a man, woman, young, old, somewhere in between. Whether you're rich, poor, somewhere in between. No matter what your ethnicity is or your social status, how big your bank account is, no matter what, God has the same calling for each and every one of us, whether we're married, single, divorced, widowed, whether we're, you're a CEO of a major corporation or the CEO of your house. God gives us an invitation, a calling to each and every one of us. It's an invitation to be known for something, to have a purpose. That's what God's greater purpose for your life is, something that has lasting value, something that will give your life real meaning. So what are we called to? We are called to be disciples of Jesus. This is the calling that's on each and every one of our lives. This is the call for each and every one of us where we also get the mission of the church, the what are we known for of the church, or at least, as someone said already, what we should be known for. See, the core mission of the church, not just Seymour Christian Church, but all Christian churches, the core mission of all churches should really be the same. Now, they might express that differently. They might do different things. But the core mission of the church is the same. The core mission of the church is to make disciples for Jesus. To make disciples of Jesus. So what is a disciple? That's not a word that we throw around a lot in today's society outside of maybe occasionally hearing about it at church. Usually when someone's talking about missionaries, right? They talk about that because they quote this famous verse. If you've got your Bibles, look at Matthew 28, 18. It says, there, go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples. Not converts, not church members. Go and make disciples. Not go and save people. This wasn't a directive just to missionaries or evangelists as well. That's usually where we hear that verse. We talk about going and making disciples somewhere else. It was a mission given to each and every one of us. No matter what our job might be, our age might be, no matter our background, we've all been given the same purpose. See, when those in the first century heard these words of Jesus, they would have had a clear understanding of what that meant. But being a disciple isn't always automatically so clear to us. So we have to know what a disciple is. Now, to give you a better understanding as we look at this, let's look at how Jesus called his first disciples. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. As he was going along the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon, who we know is Peter later on, Simon Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will have you become fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now this encounter seems really odd to us today, at least it does to me. 
And we read this and we think, Jesus is just walking down the Sea of Galilee here on the side of the water, and he sees some random guys he's like, hey, come follow me. And they're like, all right, and drop their nets and walk away from everything in their life. And we think, who would do that? What's going on here? Well, that's not exactly how this happened. We have to understand some of what's going on in this moment. This isn't just some random guy talking to some other random people. Jesus was a rabbi. And in the first century Jewish culture, a rabbi was a big deal. To be a rabbi meant that you were the best of the best, the best and the brightest. You were those who had studied, who were known. They were almost celebrity-esque. Not in the, the gross kind of way that we think of, but they were known. They were important people. And see, from a young age, Jewish boys would study the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. And they would not just study it, but all of them would memorize it. I mean, I know that you might have thought, wow, I had a hard time reading our Minor Prophets series just a couple pages. These guys memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. And through that process, the brightest and best would then move on to the next stage of their studies. And they would memorize the entire Old Testament. That's it. The entire Old Testament. And the rest would go back to their families. Those who, who hadn't quite made the cut, who didn't go to that next level in their studies. The rest of them would go back to their families and have regular jobs just like we would have like fishermen. So Jesus was a rabbi, which means he was a respected spiritual figure. And being a rabbi was a big deal. And then a rabbi would take those who had made it, those who were the brightest and the best, and he would take them under his wing, and they would become his disciples. When a rabbi called you, your life was fused together with theirs. You would come and follow them, literally, imitating all that they were doing, learning from them, studying under them. You spent all your life with them so you could absorb everything about the rabbi so that you could eventually reflect or mirror their lives. So what we see here is Jesus calling his first disciples. This is already a sign that this isn't a normal rabbi because these guys that he called, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and the rest that we read about later, they weren't the brightest and the best. They were the ones who had gone home to pick up trades, to work with their family. They weren't the top of their class. They were the guys who didn't make the exceptional cut. But Jesus isn't a normal rabbi. So Jesus calls Simon Peter and his brother, and not just to hang out with them for the day. This is an invitation from a rabbi to be there, to be his disciple. I mean, can you imagine what that must have felt like for these guys? They're just fishermen. And the rabbi comes and says, you, I want you, come follow me. Now the word disciple, the word disciple is the Greek word mathetos. Mathetos, and it means an apprentice or a student, but not a student like we might think of a student. Being a disciple is much more than just getting an education. A disciple would become a student, not just of the teacher's teachings, but of the teacher. Disciples wanted to be, to live like their rabbi. They studied everything about them. 
They would imitate the rabbi. And Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and later the, the others, when Jesus extended this invitation for them to follow him, to be his disciple, they were now given a new purpose in their life. So what does it mean to be a disciple? Now, many today think of a disciple as someone who got saved. We might even call ourselves disciples. We say, well, I've been saved. I'm a disciple. I've got what we often call hell insurance, right? We, we, make, take that, we make that decision. We give our plans then for our life over to God and say, these are my plans. Please bless them. I said the prayer. I got baptized. I'll even go to church once in a while. I'll stop trying to say bad words. I won't cheat on my spouse. But those aren't disciples. They might be churchgoers, might be good people, might be fans of Jesus, but we aren't followers. We aren't disciples. So what does it mean to be a disciple? To help us better understand what it means to be a disciple, let's look again at Jesus' call to Simon Peter and Andrew. He said, follow me and I will have you become fishers of men. Now from this verse, we get a simple but complete definition of what a disciple is. And here's the definition we're going to use here. Being a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Let's see how we get this definition from this verse. You're going to see this up around the screen. Following. We're going to follow Jesus. He said, follow me. And the next part, we're going to be changed by Jesus. He said, I will have you become. You're not going to stay what you were. You're going to become something new. You're going to be changed by Jesus. And committed to the mission, you'll become fishers of people. You have a new mission now. Your life is going to do something different than what you were doing before. Your life purpose is no longer to fish for fish, it's to fish for people. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. This is what each and every one of us, this is what I, this is what you are called to do to be a disciple of Jesus. And this is where we find real purpose and value and meaning in our life. Now, unfortunately, this is not what most people think of when they think of Christians. It's not what we're known for. Someone said earlier, it's what we should be known for. But it isn't even the thing that's always championed within our churches. When I first started in ministry, I served as a student minister for a growing church. And it was awesome. We had all these students coming to church. They were part of our youth group. And we had lots of baptisms, lots of conversions, and it was great. There was many students who made a decision to become disciples of Jesus. And some of those kids are still active in churches. Some are even pastors of other churches. But many, and unfortunately I have to say most, are not. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that, but I believe one of the key reasons is that they weren't making a decision to become a disciple. They were making a decision to not go to hell. And there is a difference, right? There's a difference between signing up for something, I just want to not go to hell. I just want to spend eternity in the right place. I want to go to heaven. There's a difference between that being what your goal is 
and being a disciple of Jesus, someone who's following, being changed, and committed to the mission of Jesus. So it's no surprise that so many people, so many people that I've baptized, so many people that that you know, maybe even yourself, have fallen away because you really just signed up to go to heaven, not to be a disciple, not to have a purpose that changed your life, that gave your life direction and meaning. Now hear me, there's nothing wrong with wanting eternal life. But conversions are only a part of the Great Commission that we read earlier from Matthew. The decision to receive Christ's salvation is also a decision to follow a path of discipleship. See, conversion is the beginning of your journey. Now, some might argue that your journey actually might begin before that. But conversion, making the decision, giving your life to Christ and being baptized is just the start, not the end. For so many of us, that became the goal. Well, I've done this part. I've checked it off. So now I'm done. And the reality is your journey is just beginning. See, we should celebrate conversions. It's so amazing when someone gives their life to Jesus. We should celebrate that, but we should champion discipleship. See, let's look at the first part of this definition of a disciple today. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at each other of those, following, changed, and committed to the mission. But this morning, let's quickly in our time remaining look at what it means to follow. Now, over time, words sometimes lose their meaning, right? We've seen this happen. Uh, when I was a kid, you'd say, that's bad. And that did not mean that it was something that was wrong. It meant it was something that was cool, right? Thanks to Michael Jackson. Okay, you guys remember that? Who's bad? Or maybe uh, sick, that's what you say. For many of us in here, you'd say, well, if I say that's sick, you'd go, oh, it's, it's unhealthy. But today, someone would say, that's sick, that means that's great, right? It's awesome. There's another word that doesn't really have the same meaning. How are you doing today? Awesome. The nuclear bomb is also awesome. God, our God is awesome. These words lose their meaning. Another one might be lit. I don't know how many of you have heard this today. Someone said, that thing is lit. Now, for a certain age group, that means that it's on fire. But not today. If someone's lit, that means it's pretty awesome. It's great. It's bad, right? So words have different meanings. And follow is one of those words that doesn't really have the same weight that it once did. When we think of follow today, we often think of someone following on social media. I found this meme on the internet this week. This is Jesus talking to a man. He says, no, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me. (laughs) Because see, we follow things. That just means it's a company that we like or something we're interested in. We might follow a person that we don't even know. But when Jesus made the call for us to follow him, it had a deeper meaning. A lot of people would say they're following Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. They might even designate themselves as Christian on a checklist. They might even sometimes go to church. But when Jesus tells us to follow him, he has something else in mind. He tells us what he means and what it means to follow him in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And here we see three attributes of being a follower. I'm going to call these the three D's. We're going to see of what it means to follow Jesus. The first is desire. You have to want it. Jesus said anyone who wants to. See, following Jesus isn't something that somebody can make you do. As much as parents, we might often want that to be the case. It's not something you can be made to do. No matter what. You can make somebody go to church. And if parents in this room, that's a good thing to encourage your children to do. And I think in most situations, you should. As your kids are under your roof and you've made that decision, making them go to church is not a bad thing, but you can't make them follow. They have to desire it. They have to want to. You can encourage it. You can inspire somebody to, but you can't make someone follow Jesus. So the first part of being a follower is desire. The second part we see here is denial. The second D, denial. Anyone who wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does it mean to deny yourself? It doesn't mean you lose your identity or that you no longer are the same person or that you lose your uniqueness or, or your desires. It doesn't even mean that you can't desire things. Denying yourself in following Jesus means you recognize that your life is not about you. That's a hard thing for many of us, to realize that it's not about me, that I'm not number one. You have to be willing to lay down your rights. That's what it means to deny yourself. You say, what sort of rights? I mean, after all, we're Americans. We don't lay down rights. We lay down the right to run our own life and surrender our life to a higher authority. We follow after Jesus who said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. It's what it means to deny yourself, to say, I now surrender my life, my decisions, the plans that I had, I don't give them to you and ask you to bless them. I lay them at your feet and say, do what you want with these. Now, why would someone want to desire to deny themselves? Now, Jesus goes on to say how serious this denial thing is. He says, take up your cross. This is another one of those words that might not hit us the way it did when Jesus first heard it. He says, take up your cross and follow me. A cross wasn't something that you wore around your neck or a tattoo that you got on your arm or something that we would even hang above the church platform. The cross was an instrument of death. Now, we often say today, it's my cross to bear. Right? We say that phrase often. And we're talking about that. We're often talking about like our job or an illness we have or a bad relationship. But the cross isn't that. Our cross is a symbol of death. It wasn't an inconvenience. It meant that we were no longer going to be alive. It's like Jesus today saying, if you want, if you desire to follow me, take up your electric chair. Take up your lethal injection. Choose to die. Why would we desire that? That's the paradox of following Jesus. That's the power of being a disciple. 
See, if you try to do life your way, live your life by your rules for yourself, you will lose, he says. But if you lose your life, if you die to yourself for my sake, for Jesus' sake, that's where true life is. And that's where we find the purpose and fulfillment and meaning in everything that we do. I have never, ever, in my 40 years, met someone who was a disciple of Jesus, who denied themselves, who gave up the rights to their life and lived for Jesus that said, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I hated my life. I didn't get what I wanted. It didn't go the way I wanted. No, the people who surrender themselves, who deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus, I've never once heard of anyone who regretted it. I know plenty of people and I've heard plenty of stories of the opposite, though. And this leads us to our third D, decision. It has to be a decision and it's not just a one-time decision to take up your cross. Remember our definition of a disciple. It's someone who is following, right? I-N-G. It's ongoing. It's the present perfect tense for all you English people here. Following Jesus isn't something you can be made to do. It's a daily choice. You have to surrender your life to God who has more in store for you than you could ever ask or imagine but it's ongoing. Following Jesus isn't something you did because you raised your hand at the end of the service or came forward or got baptized or started going to church. It's not a one-time thing. Following Jesus is an ongoing process for each and every one of us. See, as we follow him, as we spend time with him, we learn more about who he is and what he's about. We're learning to imitate him. Just as the disciples who laid down their nets and walked next to Jesus did as a disciple. And as we learn to follow him, we are being changed by him. Things are going to be different in our lives. And not just once. Once again, this isn't giving up a couple things. This is an ongoing, lifelong process of being changed by Jesus. What matters to us changes. Yes, our behaviors will change, but it's more than that. We just finished up our series in the Minor Prophets, and time and time again, the central theme, if you remember from our study of that, was that God didn't want us to just change our behaviors, right? He wanted us to change our hearts. And that change leads us to commit our lives, our time, our talents, our resources to the mission of making disciples someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus and committed to the mission of Jesus. So I want to ask you a question that I want you to consider this week. Am I a disciple? Don't answer that too quick. Because the church is full of people who are converts, churchgoers, good people who are not disciples who aren't following Jesus, who aren't consistently and lifelong through their process being changed by Jesus and committed to the mission of Jesus. Ask yourself, am I really a disciple? 
Am I just a fan? Am I just someone who likes to go to church, who's changed some things about my life? Am I a disciple? Are you following Jesus? Are you being changed by Jesus? Are you committed to his mission? Now, whether this is your first time you've ever been to church or you've been coming for years, Jesus is calling you to come follow him, to be his disciple. And he's given you a mission to make disciples. And the first step in that journey to be a disciple of Jesus starts with a decision. You have to choose in your mind to follow Jesus. You have to make that choice. It can't be made for you. Now, if you've never made that decision, we'd love to talk with you. To talk with you more if you have questions about what it means to be a follower, to make that decision to follow Jesus, to lay down your nets and to pick up your cross and follow me. Or maybe you've made that decision a long time ago, but you've lost sight of the rabbi. He's no longer right in front of you. You're not following close behind. He's moved on, and you stayed in the same place. You are being changed. Your life doesn't look that different than it did before. If that's you, you can still decide. Remember, following to be a disciple. So I want to ask you this week, am I a disciple? Are you following the rabbi? Do you eat, sleep? Does it pour out of you? Does it pour out of you to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus? What's amazing is Jesus didn't choose the brightest and the best. He didn't just choose those who had gone to Bible college or have all the scriptures memorized. He chose ordinary people like you and ordinary people like me. And his invitation, his call for our life to have meaning is to be his disciple. Are you following Jesus? Are you being changed by Jesus? And are you committed to the mission of Jesus? Let's pray together. God, I don't want us to take it too lightly that you chose Simon Peter and Andrew and the rest of the disciples in that moment who were not the ones that the world would have said should have been chosen. And God, that represents us. That call was not just for them. That call was for us as well. The Great Commission was not just for those gathered around that heard your words. Lord, they're for us today. You call each and every one of us, our life's purpose, to be a disciple of you. So God, I thank you for that, that you loved each and every one of us so much that you see the potential in all of us to be great. God, not great in the way that we think of, but great in the way that you intended it to be. You have created us in your likeness, and you see that within us, no matter how far each and every one of us have walked away from you. And you call us, Lord, to be your disciple, to follow you. And so, Lord, for each and every one of us in this room, I ask that we would consider that. Are we a disciple? Have we made do we have the desire to follow you? Have we made that decision? Are we denying ourselves daily? God, and over the next couple of weeks, as we unpack more of what it means to be a disciple, Lord, we're going to see how we, we are changed. 
how our life should look different because we're following you. God, I thank you for that. I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, would look for that greater purpose you have in each and every one of us and to recognize that you are calling us. God, we ask all this in your name. Amen.